Hey everyone, I'm Andy Kraft. And I'm Aaron Kraft. Welcome to the Health Hacked Podcast. Hey everyone, today we are joined by Dr. Nicole Kane. Nicole has her degree in clinical psychology and is a licensed naturopathic physician in Arizona. She's been interviewed as a mental health expert in Forbes. Uh, she's consulted for major companies like Orb Health. She designed the integrative mental health curriculum for Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine. Uh, and she's been a, a national speaker for several leading behavioral health organizations. And she has a unique approach to what she does. She takes a multidisciplinary approach to mental health that is medical, psychological, and just overall holistic. She, she really aims to, to get to the root of symptoms uh, when it comes to mental health so she can actually pursue real healing for her clients. And this integrative approach to, to mental and emotional wellness has helped so many people get their life back, which is the name of her podcast, Get Your Life Back, which uh, Aaron and I were just on. So go check that out. She has some really interesting topics and, and guests uh, her website and social media are great resources. She's got a lot of good, uh, like free gifts on there and things that you can download and guides and blogs. So check out her website, drnicolecane.com. Put, I'll put that link in the show notes. Her Instagram is also a great resource. That's at Dr. Nicole Kane. We have a similar philosophy on health and wellness. So we're really excited to have her on the show. Thank you for joining us, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. So, can you tell us a little bit about how you first got into this field? Uh, I think it's interesting when people take this more integrative, uh, holistic approach to healing. Uh, people have their own path in, in the way that they got there. So can you tell us your story? It's kind of the journey of a bushwhacker, if you will, <laughs> growing up in Iowa where integrative medicine is this weird thing that they do on the West Coast. Uh, I grew up in a family where the food that you eat is generally beige, uh, pork loin, <laughs> corn on the cob, uh, mashed potatoes. Mm -hmm. So generally beige. And if you have an ailment, you either just rub some dirt on it or you go to your doctor and you take the prescription. And so my journey begins with a fanny pack and I'm eight years old and in that fanny pack are wonderful little things that I had been procuring along the way for first aid. So I'd carry my little fanny pack, we'd go to the creek and we would play in the water and if somebody got a scrape, I would tend to their soul by loving on them and nurturing <laughs> them and then put a little band-aid on them. And so that begins my journey. And so as I got a little bit older, I developed some symptoms of really intense nasal sinus congestion and I couldn't breathe. My parents, you know, they told me just to kind of deal with it <laughs> until the point where it wasn't going away. So I'm, all right, we'll go to the doctor. And the doctor put me on a decongestant called Allegra D. And the decongestant didn't clear my congestion, but it gave me heart palpitations and anxiety. Wow. And so they added another medication. So now I'm probably 10 years old around this time, and 
fanny pack in hand, we don't have anything for anxiety. So we go to the doctor and I get another prescription. And so by the time I got to college, I was on six different pills and no better than I was in the very beginning. I had been studying pre-med and studying psychology and vocal performance. And looking at all of these, I'm trying to decide what I want to do with my life. Vocal performance, fun and lovely and amazing. But in Iowa culture, you can't make money singing. So I had to find something more reasonable. I'm doing the air quote for you guys who are listening. And so then I'm thinking about medicine and psychology and medicine. I'm thinking about how I have anxiety and heart palpitations and I'm gaining weight and I'm still so congested. And every November, I'm developing laryngitis, bronchitis, and an upper respiratory infection. I'm sick for the entire month of November every single year. And I'm like, medicine stinks. It doesn't really do much good and I don't want to be a part of it. So I decided to become a counselor. Moved to Chicago and got my degree in counseling. And I got to tend to the spirits, the souls, the hearts of my clients. And that's where I met my husband, Paul, and he's a counselor too. So I'm in counseling. And there was one night I'm working in a rehab with teenagers in the north part of Chicago, in Lake Forest, Chicago. And I have this one girl who will always forever be in my memory because her story changed my life. And so she's sitting. She has a giant monster drink in hand. We're in group therapy. She's talking about her struggle with cocaine addiction. And it's 8 o'clock at night, and she's chugging monster and talking about her new concern, which is insomnia. She can't sleep well. And I'm not a doctor, but I know that there is a relationship between drinking monster, using cocaine, and sleep. (laughs) Right. Probably. That's a good assumption. Sometimes I could put the pieces together. And so I talk to my, my practicum instructor, and I'm like, can we talk to her about diet and lifestyle? And they say, no, 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 that's out of scope. We have to send her to the psychiatrist who puts her on a hypnotic sleep aid. And so now she's got a developing brain. She's using cocaine. She's chugging monster. And now she's on a sleep aid. That's very habit forming. And I wanted to pull my hair out. Mm. I'm still from the Midwest, right? So I had done a little bit of a lateral move out of Iowa into Illinois. I'm in Chicago. I'm in the big city, right? But I'd still never heard of integrative medicine more than just like a passing thought of some like wackadoo kind of hippie medicine putting crystals (laughs) on your head and and, um, doing a rain dance. My dad is a a very traditional Marine, if that gives you context for (laughs) where I was from. And so I was so frustrated and oftentimes my frustration and indignation fuels pretty cool discoveries. And so I go and I get on the computer and I start to research tag words that just spelled out what I would like to see. And I found the Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine and I see the words research. I see PubMed studies. I see that it's an actual federally accredited medical school. I see that there are licensing examinations that are comparable to the MPLEX that nurses and doctors are taking. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. this exists? So... Three months later, I yeah, was in medical school. Yeah, you don't hear about that very often. <laughs> no, oftentimes it's very, it's like very, um, it's like we have our sunglasses on. And I've always thought about writing a book. Sorry, mom and dad, I've decided to become a quack because 
there's this relationship between the way that we perceive integrative medicine and the reality of what integrative medicine can be for each individual person. And I've, I've been blessed to be able to make it my own. And where I align very much with you, with you guys, is that I, f- I think that it's very important to have rigorous research and rigorous analysis and to really understand the anatomy, the physiology, the biochemistry, the pharmacology, and really understand why we do what we do. And I learned that mm-hmm. in medical school never losing my passion for mental health. And so over the past decade plus, and with personal experience, circling back to my six prescriptions and all my personal issues is having the opportunity to apply what I was learning and transform my own health is been a practice where I've had the opportunity to work with people around the world in becoming their own health advocates, especially for depression and anxiety, bipolar, and getting their lives back. And that's hence the podcast. Yes. That, yeah, I think that, I think that's one of the, the the struggles with a lot of the conventional approach is that you you go into your doctor's office with these problems, and just the, the the model for how to how to run that type of business is usually you have a patient in and out in about fifteen to twenty minutes, and you don't have time to to have those discussions that you have as a counselor or therapist, like where you really dig into like what's actually going on in your life. What type of lifestyle changes or what type of lifestyle style are you living? Are you drinking a monster at 10 p.m. and you can't sleep? Like maybe that's the issue. Um, and we often, I, I think, feel that mental health and nutrition and exercise are each their own silo. They're, they're all separate. That's kind of how we think of it in today's society. We don't connect them and see how how all interrelated they actually are. Um, but mental health is clearly linked to to what we eat and, and what we do so could you uh get into some of the the background of actually what's going on with lifestyle changes and mental health like i guess we can start with maybe nutrition and how things like what we eat on a daily basis how does that affect our mental health what we eat on a daily basis has a profound effect on our mental health and I think that it's easier to explain in things that we see in our daily life. And so if if we have a listener who likes cars and you have a really great sports car, the type of gasoline that you put in your car will impact its performance. And mm-hmm. so if we just understand just basic mechanics that the type of gasoline you're putting in your car will impact performance, it's not an unlogical jump to say, well, what you put in your body will impact your body's performance. And then another analogy could just be for the other listener who likes to garden. And it causes me to reflect on the, the film Idiocracy, which I think is the first comedy to become a documentary. <laughs> I say that oh, yeah. in jest, right? Yeah. Is Idiocracy... <laughs> where they're they have this like fruit punch juice stuff that they've used to replace water and they're watering their crops with this fruit punch juice and they can't figure out why the plants aren't thriving and i think that that is not too far of a cry from what we're doing with our health and so what we're putting in our bodies makes a difference it makes a difference not only in metabolic behavior of our bodies, but also it impacts things like pH, gut. Um, There's research coming out talking about how if you eat something that has sugar in it, that it causes 
an almost drunken like behavior in your immune system cells, specifically mm. your macrophages. Mm. And so for four hours approximately, give or take for individuation, right, after having sugar, your immune system is drunk slash sluggish, not working optimally. And so then if you imagine someone has Fruit Loops for breakfast, their immune system is smushed until lunch. You have your lunch and then you have a cookie after lunch. And then, you know, a few hours later, your immune system starting to pick it up again. And then you get, you get a little hungry, have an afternoon snack, maybe some trail mix with some sugary berries or some sugary pretzels. M&M's. M&M's. <laughs> we have York peppermint patties here in one of my counseling offices. Yeah. And so it's mm, really hard to say <laughs> no to that. We have dinner. We have a piece of pie at dinner. And then we go to bed and we may have a little snack. And so suddenly an entire day has passed where we're just suppressing our immune system. And that's just one example that has been well-researched. And so when it comes to your mental health specifically, we want to look at, of course, what nutrients, what ingredients are deleterious or problematic for your health and what are helpful for your health. And so naturopathic philosophy explains these in the therapeutic order. The therapeutic order is kind of a map on how to approach health and wellness. And one of the tenets of the therapeutic order is to remove obstacles to cure. And this another secondary tenet is to give the body what it needs. So if we kind of look at those two in terms of diet is what does your body need to function? Okay, so let's look at brain science. Your brain has neurons. The neurons are covered by a myelin sheath. The myelin sheath is kind of like putting grease on a pig. It helps information send from point A to point B so you can think and react, right? Analyze, emote. Mm -hmm. That myelin sheath is made of a phospholipid bilayer, and that phospholipid bilayer needs omega-3 fatty acids. So if we just look at the way that your brain works, one fundamental ingredient that we can surmise from the research, and Health Act is all about research, right, is, okay, well, I need omega-3 fatty acids. If I have brain fog or if I have anxiety or I have depression, why wouldn't I support the omega-3 fatty acids in my brain? It's a no-brainer, right? Mm -hmm. You can get that yeah. from yeah. fish oil. You could get that from Alaskan fresh cold water fish and adding that to your diet. So in terms of diet, we want to give the body what it needs. So I just gave you an example of that. And the secondary is to remove obstacles to cure, which goes back to the sugar it goes back to, um, am I eating things highly in preservatives, food mm -hmm. dyes? A general rule of thumb is to shop on the periphery or the perimeter of the grocery store. And if it didn't yeah. grow out of the earth, maybe limit it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's good. I, 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 I like how you broke that up into the, the, the two areas. I think a lot of times when it comes to dieting, the way that people think about it is, what can I not eat? What is what is restrictive? You know, what what are things that I need to, to get rid of? Well, that's only like one half of the equation. The other half is like, what are you giving your body that it needs? I mean, you could cut out sugar, but if you're not eating, like you said, any omega threes, like you're still suffering. It's not just about removing things. Um, not giving your body what it needs could could also cause problems. And the way you assimilate it, and so there there's been research also conducted into. Uh, the way that we consume our food, intentional eating, mindful eating, and the way that the body responds to that. So 
for example, if we think about your nervous system, your nervous system has a dial essentially that will turn it into sympathetic overdrive or into parasympathetic, which is more relaxed, right? So sympathetic or overdrive is we're not going to, we're not going to digest right now. We're running from a tiger. Mm -hmm. So we're going to shut down our digestive juices. We're going to reduce production of enzymes. We need to run from the bear. We don't have time to digest. And so if you're in a state of eating on the go, you're going to get less from the nutrition that you're putting into your body as Mm -hmm. opposed to if you allow your body to shift that dial into parasympathetic, which is rest and digest, where you are able to make the saliva in your mouth, the salivary amylase to break down proteins, go into your stomach, have that trigger all of those yummy enzymes and stomach acid to really pull out all of the valuable nutrients that you need. And so the way that we eat can be just as important as what we eat. Mm-hmm. So you, you want to recommend getting, you know, a McDonald's on your way to work and shoveling that down right before you get into the office or anything like that, would you? Suboptimal. And the <laughs> proof is in the pudding. And so listeners do an experiment is eat the same food, but then take your time and eat it mindfully mm-hmm. and just notice what it feels like in your body. And then the next day is go to McDonald's and hork it down as fast as you can and go to your meeting and just notice because your body, just like the performance of a car, it will tell you what's working better and what isn't. Yeah, I, I've noticed that personally, like it's something I do and a lot of people do is while they're eating dinner, they turn on a Netflix show. And when you're watching a show or scrolling on your phone while you're eating, you're not thinking about what you're eating. You're thinking about the show you're watching. So you just shovel food down and you can eat a whole meal in five minutes easily. Then you go get a second plate and do the same thing. And you've eaten all this food and you feel terrible and bloated afterwards. Whereas if you're sitting at a table, having a, a, a discussion with somebody, you eat much slower because you have to take a bite, chew, talk, listen. It takes a lot more time to eat a meal when you are conversing with somebody. It takes you know about 30 minutes versus five minutes, and that does have a really big impact. It could be the same exact meal, just how you eat it. It has a big impact on, on how you feel five minutes after the meal. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, uh, as you've, you've been working with people, um, how have you noticed or have you noticed any shift over the past like one to two years, like during this whole like COVID thing, have you noticed any, anything uh, different? I've heard from, from different people. We've, we've looked at some studies just showing kind of an, an increase in um, anxiety and depression during this time, but, but from somebody who's actually in the field every day, what, what has been your perception of, of the me- mental health over the past couple of years? I remember when the pandemic started, there was an article released by the New York Times talking about feared medication shortages because so many people were going to the doctor and many of them for the first time to receive treatment for mental health, whether it's depression or anxiety or other symptoms that were amplified as a result of the pandemic. And so we had doctors who were being limited on how many benzodiazepines that they could dispense because we couldn't have people eating up all the benzos and then not having enough for other people. And so doing the research into the numbers is the, there's a statistically significant jump in the amount of 
people suffering from anxiety and depression with the pandemic. There's also this really interesting kind of psychological divide that I've been seeing where I think of COVID as a as an amplifier of kind of this like latent state that someone may be in. And it's amplifying. It's kind of like if you have like this little little campfire and it's just like a cute little baby little fire. But then I feel like COVID is pouring gasoline on that. And so I've seen amplification of some sort of a latent state. And so what is that latent state? So we can think about it in terms of physical health or mental health. I wrote an article about pandemic psychosis where we see people who are exhibiting symptoms of delusional thinking, preoccupation, um, whose general tendency was to be more suspicious, but has been amplified. For example, I have a a friend who was sure that in January of 2021 that the the government was going to basically give us back all of our money and Mm -hmm. that the internal trading houses were going to be closed. And so this person was, he bought a $500,000 house in January because he was 100% convinced that that (laughs) money would be forgiven. And so when it gets to that point is it's, it's not a difference in philosophy. It's then become an amplification of some sort of an underlying faulty cognitive process. And I'm seeing a lot of that. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people who are hoarding resources, um, whose entire basements are filled with food because (laughs) Mm -hmm. of martial law just like a lot of anxiety coming up in different ways. And as as a healer, as a guide, my job is to help you to get to a place where you can feel emotionally strong and steady and to be able to make decisions from the totality of who you are as opposed to just from your anxiety. Mm-hmm. And that's been kind of in the past two years, the biggest focus is to try to help people find that medium. Because again, like some of these parts are being very much amplified you know kerosene on a fire and so it's how can we reconcile with the reality of our circumstances and with the fear of the unknown yeah yeah i I think that's huge we're probably going to say the same thing (laughs) but i think that those things are never going to go away like there's always going to be unknowns stressors i mean covid has obviously been a big one but i feel like and from an outside perspective, someone who's not in your your uh, your field every day, I, I it seems like this has been something that has exacerbated under things that were already there. It's just this has kind of, like you said, amplified them, and it's drawn it drawn attention to it. I mean, under unfortunate circumstances, but it, I think it has drawn attention to the importance of um, uh, of mental health, but. Even once this subsides, like that's not going to solve all the problems. There will be something new and there will be new stressors, new current events that just, um, you know, amplify, amplify those conditions. So I think getting to the root cause now is really uh, is really important for when those kind of unforeseen events do arise. Yeah, getting to the root cause, it's like. it's like playing a game of whack-a-mole where we're just putting out fires versus doing a rewind and saying, okay, what are, what are my predispositions? Like my, my personal story is I tend to aim more towards anxiety. That's what my body does when I get out of balance as opposed to depressed. I, I don't tend to get as depressed. I get more anxious. And so then getting to the root cause that there's this, this 
tendency and what is that tendency? What is fueling that tendency? And how can I work towards healing that tendency so that when happenings inevitably occur, like you're describing, things are going to keep happening. When those things do happen, what can I do to enter a state of vitality and resiliency so that I am not having to keep putting out the fires? So somebody who you know comes to you who does have severe anxiety or depression or you know whatever other mental health problem that is, what are like your first steps as a practitioner to to helping them get to those root problems? Like, do you are are you finding out about their background, their childhood, their upbringing? Like, what I get, what are what are the first practical steps you take to to really dig in and find what, out what that is? The very first thing does come again from the therapeutic order and i love it because it creates this wonderful guide so that when all else fails follow the therapeutic order because it teaches you how to think and the very first tenant is to address acute concerns and so an example of that is that somebody may come in and their concern may be that they just don't know what job they want in life they're like i'm trying to i'm on instagram and it's all about purpose and finding your job. Oh, and by the way, I'm having panic attacks every single night, but I'm just going to keep taking benzos. I don't want to do anything about that. I want to talk about my purpose. And so for me, as someone who's helping them, is first we want to start with, well, tell me about those panic attacks too. I can help you find your purpose. And let's, if you're okay with it, just make sure that we've gotten to the root of why the panic attacks are happening. And so in a case, I write about this, I'm writing a book on anxiety right now, in the story that I'm thinking of and referring to is that this person was having horrible panic attacks because she was hyperthyroid. So her her thyroid antibodies were up, she was overproducing thyroid hormone, and so her body was in an activated state and unmitigated, if that isn't caught, in time, you can enter thyroid storm, which can be lethal. Mm. And so I don't mean to create anxiety in somebody who has anxiety, but that's the importance of having a good doctor or a good coach on board is to help you know what do we need to do just to make sure that all of our ducks are in a row, that we've addressed acute concerns, and that may involve exams, it may involve testing, it may involve referral to specialists, it may involve doing an audit of their prescriptions, making sure there's no interaction or no side effect. So we always do that medical diligence first. And that may be also in creating a crisis plan. So the person may say, I have panic attacks, can you help me with my anxiety? But they may also have suicidal ideation. And so for me, we need to create a crisis plan. Like I need to make sure that you're going to be safe and we'll also work on your anxiety. But we also need to make sure we're addressing the acute concern of what's the most risky and the danger first. Yeah, that's no, that, that's good advice. Um, I'm curious, you know, you have these acute problems with, with certain people. Do you feel like people can get to a point where they no longer need help or um, is, is, what would you recommend kind of always having, uh, always having a relationship with a professional such as yourself to, to kind of monitor the, the condition? If, does that question make sense? Like, it does. is there a point where you can get to a point where you are quote unquote healed? If we live in a perfect world, I would say yes. 
<laughs> so if I could pluck you and put you on a, a beautiful island that has everything you could ever want and no stress, then possibly. But I think about it in terms of maintaining your car and getting oil changes. I think it even in terms of physical fitness. Like I may get in the best shape of my life and I may run a marathon and do my best personal time, but then I spend time sitting on the couch after that and I may lose some of that muscle mass. I may lose some of that endurance. So I think of it as emotional fitness and emotional wellness is it's not a destination, but rather a process. And Mm. as you engage in that healing and transformative process, you can truly heal. You can truly develop vitality. Vitality is to be fully alive. You can become more fully alive. And you can truly develop resiliency, your ability to stay fully alive despite happenings, despite stress. And yet, that does often require maintenance. And so for myself personally, I go to therapy regularly because I deal with humans regularly. Mm -hmm. And I'm in a world where politics and all sorts of drama happens regularly. And so my emotional fitness, I go and I exercise at Orange Theory every single week and I go to therapy every two to three weeks. And I think that that's profoundly helpful in making sure I'm targeting the root cause so that I don't have to play whack-a-mole with something amplifies in the future. Right. Would you recommend somebody who who doesn't had or hasn't historically struggled with any type of mental health condition, would you still recommend they see a practitioner for like preventative reasons or perhaps maybe there are issues they just aren't aware of it that are, you know, acting out in other areas of their life. Maybe they do have a mental health condition they just don't know about it. Someone who thinks that they are are perfectly healthy, which nobody is, but someone who thinks that they are in a good place mentally, would you, like what would you recommend for somebody like that? Would you do they still go see somebody once a month, or how do you how do you deal with that? The first thing that's coming to mind with that question is you don't know what you don't know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know Socrates talks about this too, right? He he talks about the person who believes that they know more, in fact, know less, and that mm. the more that you learn, the less that you know, and so in in just uh, like kind of juxtaposing just with truly honoring that is. I think everybody should go. I think everybody would benefit from an opportunity to be heard and to explore and to dig. And even if there isn't abject suffering, is to perhaps grow in our ability to understand the world and to understand our purpose and how we can serve and how we can love deeper and celebrate bigger And so if someone's listening to this and they're like, okay, well, I love Health Act. I'm not really into mental health. I'm not anxious. I'm not depressed. I don't have OCD. I don't have problems sleeping. Is this really valuable for me? And to that person, I would really encourage you to acknowledge the not knowing and to explore the not knowing and to see what kind of knowing comes from that exploration. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. I think that's good advice. Um, I know I, uh, I've talked about this a little bit on here. So I'm, my first son is, is, uh, on his way in like five weeks. And, um, I recently just kind of decided to do counseling just cause, you know, I've never done it before. And, you know, I wanted to, to kind of be in a good headspace. You know, I wanted, I want to be a good parent. I don't know what, you know, underlying, 
you know, things that I have that maybe would kind of get passed along to him. So, so that's something that I, I started doing and, uh, it really has been pretty, pretty impactful more so than I anticipated. And I didn't really go into it with any kind of like expectations or, um, nothing like super specific that I wanted to resolve, but just kind of like, like you said, like going to the gym and it's, it's been super positive. I so respect and admire that, that, that even though you didn't have something you were wanting to necessarily work on, that there's somebody in your life that you love so much that you're thinking, how can I grow? And I think that sometimes that's the reason that we can go to work on our emotional fitness is so that we can be even more emotionally fit to serve them. Because maybe your son one day will have anxiety. And even if you don't, you could be like, you know what? I learned about this. I've got mm-hmm. your back. Yeah. 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 No, I, no, I, I, I agree. I think it can help the people around us, you know, just as much as it can help us. So, um, one, one thing that has co- come up, I think when I'm talking with people about this is a lot of people can't, uh, maybe afford professional help or, or for some reason they're, uh, maybe, maybe scared to go get professional help you know, for people that just aren't at a point where maybe they can go get professional help at this point in their life, for whatever, for, for whatever reason, are, are there things that, that they can do outside of professional help that you think would be beneficial? Yeah, I, I really want to validate that question. I think that's so profoundly important. And I think that was amplified with the COVID pandemic is that people are losing their jobs and they're losing their insurance. And there's, you know, there's still people driving around here in Michigan that don't have license plates because they just simply can't get into the secretary of state. And so there's a bottleneck effect with doctors and government officials. It's just a lot of things are in a standstill. And so the question that you're asking is for those who don't have access to resources, or maybe they're in a rural area, or maybe they're in a situation where there's domestic violence, or maybe they're not of they're not of age. Maybe they're 16 years old and they're listening to this podcast and their parents won't take them. And so what I hear is the question is, is what what about those people? What can they do? And I think one profoundly important step is listening to a podcast like this. I wasn't able to change my life until I received education that there was change possible. I wasn't able to get off of those six prescriptions and to work on healing myself while I was still under the narrative that you rub dirt on it, suck it up, or take a pill. And so doing my own personal research changed my life and having access to information like what you provide where I can really lean on knowing that this is this is true. This is real. This is true. It's not just someone with an Internet connections opinion. So I, I encourage your listeners to empower themselves with knowledge, find reputable podcasts, find reputable blogs and find a mentor, finding a mentor there's big brothers, big sisters. There, there are spiritual places like churches and you know different places where you can go to find a mentor, to find somebody online mentorships, tons of free resources. And the other thing is that there's a lot of really great online communities to support people. I have a Facebook 
private Facebook group. It's free where if people are struggling with anxiety or depression, they have access to me and my community and it's free. And there's a lot of great resources like that. Um, What's the name of that Facebook group? It's the Anxiety Freedom One Week Challenge, but it's easy to find if they just go to my Instagram and click the link in the bio and there's a link right there that says that. Yeah. And so digging into your community and identifying support services. And the other thing is that there's always government programs that will pay for free therapy and counseling. But what about when it comes to integrative health? So the story that I was telling you about the woman with thyroid, right? She had been to her primary care doctor and he said, oh, it's in your head. You're just anxious. And it wasn't until she saw me and I was like, girl, you probably should get some general (laughs) Mm -hmm. tests done. could be thyroid that she got that answer. And so oftentimes it can be cost prohibitive to see an integrative or a functional medicine or a naturopathic doctor, right? It can be cost prohibitive. And so I've tried to create a solution for that where in my anxiety breakthrough freedom course, I have basically everything that's in my brain that could be humanly possible to put on page is there. I have how to do your own work as your own trauma therapist. I have algorithms for testing. So for example, if she didn't have any thyroid symptoms, it wouldn't make sense to pay for thyroid tests. And so there's questions and guidelines in there. And then I have education on supplements what do they do? How do they work? When to take them? I have resources, references. I teach how to make your own herbal tinctures. And so there are great resources out there like that that can be quite a lot less expensive. But I do want to put the caveat in there is that if you can find a doctor who will work with you. So maybe they don't know all about St. John's wort, but they may have the ability to help you find the answers that are reputable and make sure that it's safe for you. So try to have a doctor. Is there anything you'd recommend? Um, it's, it's Obviously, this approach is very individualized, and you really have to get to know the person, know their symptoms and their, their, their biomarkers, what's going inside their body. But are there any more generalized recommendations to a holistic approach to, to anxiety and depression, like something that would apply to everybody like meditation or gratitude or eating or avoiding sugar. We mentioned that and getting omega threes. What would you say are your top generalized recommendations that would be applicable to your everyday person? So general recommendations for mental and emotional wellness that could be applicable to most people with, like you said, the caveat that Really, it's important to individualize that with your doctor and your unique biochemistry. But great places to start is, number one, is to go back to what we were saying with diet, is how can I add food that is nourishing to my brain and body? Just like I want to put the best gasoline in my sports car, or at least gasoline that's the right type for the car, right? Unleaded versus diesel. You know, just try to get like something that works with your Mm -hmm. body. And focusing on the perimeter of the store is a great place. So whole foods, whole vegetables, yummy oils like omega-3 fatty acids. The best diet, according to the literature, is a more anti-inflammatory or Mediterranean diet. 
And so adding in those foods that are anti-inflammatory, like brightly colored, like the more beautifully brightly colored a veggie is, the more nutrient density it's going to have and the better anti-inflammatory effects it will have. So a blueberry is going to be more nutrient dense and anti-inflammatory than let's say a honeydew, right? Mm -hmm. And iceberg lettuce has far fewer nutrients than kale. And so that's number one is anti-inflammatory diet and try to limit things that have pro- – like if it can clean the battery of your car, then don't put it in your body. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> no offense to a particular brown-colored soda. Um, <laughs> so yes. So that's the first is nutrition. And then the second is having a mindfulness routine. There is so much research – on the power of gray matter in your brain. And oftentimes, gray matter in your brain can actually supersede our diet. Our, the gray matter in your brain is what helps you communicate between the three primary areas of your brain, your logical prefrontal cortex, your emotional midbrain, and your physical reactive brainstem. And we increase gray matter. We see this in the research of... Um, the Amen Clinic and Dan Siegel, we see that through mindfulness, meditation, uh, prayer, that we can increase gray matter. And so a really quick actionable that you can do right now is to set an alarm on your phone for three minutes and just simply look at a piece of nature, look out your window, look at a tree, look at the grass, look at a flower, look at a house plant. If you don't have any nature, find something that you can look at, maybe your child, whatever you do, and then just simply breathe four counts in, hold at the top for four counts, exhale for four counts, hold at the bottom for four counts, and then repeat that. And then when your alarm goes off, go about your day. And three to five minutes a day has been shown to statistically benefit with mindfulness and mental health. So that's number two. Um, Number three would be daily movement is... Back in the day, one of the founders of naturopathic medicine, his name is Henry, Henry Linlar, and he talks about how the number one cause of disease is the accumulation of morbid matter and sluggish lymph. And so 1800s German, right? So <laughs> what we want to do is just simply move our bodies, go for a walk. The American Heart Association says 10,000 steps, but just simply moving around or standing at your desk or maybe even stretching gently. Motion is lotion. We see that Mm -hmm. it's good for your nervous system. It's good for detoxification. It's good for your vagus nerve, which helps with your gut and your brain. So daily movement. And then just a couple of others is sleep hygiene. Your brain and your body live on a rhythmic cycle and living within the rhythm is much more therapeutic to you than trying to live outside of that rhythm. Mm -hmm. So think about it in terms of the female menstrual cycle or the sleep-wake cycle or the hunger cycle or the moon cycle or the seasons. Like this world is very cyclical. And so your brain and your body, they like to wake up at the same time and they like to go to sleep at the same time. Your serotonin, which regulates your mood, gets broken down into melatonin when it's time to sleep. 
And so by having alterations in your sleep-wake cycle, you're causing alterations in your serotonin levels, which will alter your mood. And so getting on a cycle, a regular cycle, using the tools, the integrative methods that you have is really helpful. And then the last I wanted to mention is emotional support, counselors, brothers, doctors, friends, podcasts, Mm -hmm. making sure that you're tending to your spirit, tending to your soul and to your emotions to help so that you're not playing the game of whack-a-mole when happenings come up, but so that you're supported ahead of time. Yeah, man, those are all, those are all fantastic. So avoid inflammatory foods, cut the processed crap, eat whole foods, have a mindfulness routine, uh, and breath, breath work, include breath work in that, uh, exercise, you know, get moving, sleep, go to sleep at the same time and wake up at the same time every morning. We talk about that all the time, the importance of that. And then, yeah, have, have a support group. I think all of those are, are super important. A lot of times it's easy to get focused on one. You get caught up on nutrition or you get caught up in exercise. Um, just because most people are naturally interested in one, but like, I think all of those together can really work to, to support our brain health. Sometimes it's easier than we think, right? We like mm-hmm. to overcomplicate it. You know, people yeah. are like, okay, well, tell me about methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase deficiency and the enzymatic propensity of whatever, right? And so we can get so lost in the weeds where if we do a zoom out on this person who's spending $500 a month on supplements and memorizing genetic pathways and they're taking their methylfolate and then getting a Big Mac on the go, <laughs> you know, mm. it can... Sometimes it's just as simple as just doing a zoom out and looking at these just basic tenets of health is what are the obstacles to cure and what does my body need? And then just simply focusing there can make a big impact for a small amount of time and a small amount of money. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And once you get into a routine, I think it just becomes habit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been super good. This is a topic that we've really wanted to cover for a, a long time, and uh, you know, it's not something that that you know we've uh, we've become well versed in. So we're really happy that we found you. You you have been and, and are the perfect guest for this. So thank you so much for sharing. We're really excited for people to hear hear about this. And again, go check out uh, Nicole's website, drnicolekane and your Instagram handle is at drnicolekane. Um, and through there, you can get through like your Facebook groups and all your courses and materials and all that, right? Yes, absolutely. And there's lots of free goodies. And so take advantage of all the free yummy goodies. All right. Thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.